Praise the Lord. What an awesome thing to be able to say today, honestly, sincerely, before God, that it is well with our soul. Wouldn't it be so sad to go through life and think that you were okay and come right down to the very last moments of your life, breathing your last breath and realize that you were lost. We know what happens every day. People that live a life that's religious but not saved. I don't want religion. I need salvation, don't you? God bless you. Let's read today from the book of Ephesians, a few places here. This is the way that we're able to be reconciled into the presence of God. It started out with a tree in the Garden of Eden. One man chose a tree over life. By choosing the tree of knowledge of good and evil over life, he passed down the penalty of death to us. In another garden, not of Eden, but of Gethsemane, another one chose a tree over life. He chose to become a curse on a tree. He chose that instead of living. The prophet tells us that he didn't want to die He wanted to stay with his disciples. Paul tells us that he feared death, but he chose the tree to save his wife. And we're reconciled today in that. I'm so grateful. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Now listen what he did once he made the perpetuation for our sins. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. How can we believe that without God helping us? That the church is the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Chapter 2, verse 6. I love the book of Ephesians. It's, it's a wonderful book. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now this, of course, is the mystical body, but it also represents a natural body that's gathering together. Notice in verse 7 that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Verse 10 of chapter 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Chapter 5, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, And he is the savior of the body. God bless you. Let's pray together. 
Father, your word is so wonderful. We're so thankful today that we can be able to assemble ourselves together, not just in a local body, a local assembly, although we are grateful for that. But yet we know all over this nation of ours and all over the world, people have gathered today, those that are still able to do it. And many of them, Father, they don't even have a clue really about the mystical body and what you are doing. But we are so grateful that we can identify with both that mystical unseen body, that invisible union that goes with the bride, but also we're thankful that we have one another here in this local assembly, that we can gather together in this place. So we pray you'd take your word today, Lord, and break it to our hearts. May our hearts be fallow ground that's been broken up, that we can be able to receive of your word, that we can be transformed into what you desire us to be. For it's in the name of the Lord Jesus we ask it. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. Two major images given in the Bible about the church. The church is a family. The church is a body. It is invisible and it is also visible. It is redeemed by the power of God in the invisible supernatural realm, something that happens within each member. You cannot see the material signs of it happened, but you can see the results on their lives. Then also it is that supernatural part that goes beyond just the individual part. I love the way the prophet describes it. I think it was in 1962, whenever he said we are baptized individually, yet collectively into the body of Christ. So you and I are more than just a name or a number, but we are an individual in the body, but yet none of us are that body by ourselves. So collectively, we make up that body and it's spread around the world. But God so desired to have it more than the mystical part. Now many people emphasize so much on the mystical body, the invisible union that is existent for sure. And they emphasize so much on that that they leave out any emphasis that should be upon the body that gathers locally. But we know that in order for us to keep the proper balance, that what we believe and what we receive from the seventh angel, the messenger of the last day, it must never go contrary to that which is written in the pages of the scripture. How many believes that? No true prophet of God would ever leave the pages of the Bible. Why, why would God do such a thing to anoint 
prophets of the Old Testament, prophets of the New, and then send one in the last day that would basically leave all of that pattern and all of that that God did and say, well, really, you don't need it anymore. No, that's not my God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet we know that in that God uh, so desired to have a body that would be worldwide, initially, the, the apostles probably were overwhelmed by the church and by the charge that they were given just to be able to spread it around in Jerusalem and Judea and then it spread into Galilee and then it went north up by Gibeon and then it went down south by the Red Sea and they probably thought in their mind, well, this will probably be the scope of it. It'll probably not really go any farther than the land of Israel. But God chose one by the name of Paul that was not allowed to walk with the Lord Jesus naturally, but he had a vision that went beyond Jerusalem. He had a vision that went beyond Galilee, and it must have been Overwhelming. Remember when Peter went and preached to the household of Cornelius and the Spirit of God fell upon them and baptized them with the Holy Ghost, it so upset the original church that they kind of called Peter in on the carpet. And they said, what in the world are you doing going out there and preaching to them Gentiles? And Peter had to give, you know, an answer to the brethren as far as what God had done. And the brethren were very much upset and they were struggling, trying to understand how can those people which are heathens, absolute idolaters, ever come into the same covenant? Well, let me just be honest with you. I'm glad that the Lord moved beyond the Jewish brothers and was able to get a hold of a man by the name of Paul who had a broader revelation to be able to know that he was also an apostle of the Gentiles, aren't you? Now, no doubt it was very difficult for the brothers in that day, but God so grabbed a hold of a man that was not only an apostle, but a prophet, and he helped him to see that this was going to go around the world. Now, we know that Paul was actually the first missionary that would take the gospel beyond the land of Israel. And I can imagine that some of the brothers in that day, they thought, this man is crazy. What is he doing? Somebody told me that he went over to Macedonia and he went over to Sicily and he went here and he went there and he took a ship and he went among the Gentiles and he went over here and he preached there and he went to the land of, of the heathens and of the idolaters and he must have been a misfit among even those brethren of that day. Now, you can imagine in our day, had we been the only ones that, as far as we knew, the gospel was gonna go to, and then somebody decided they felt led of the Lord to go to the Philippines, and then to the Congolese, and then to the people in Zimbabwe, and the people in Ethiopia, and the people, and we're thinking, really? We thought the gospel was just for Happy Valley. We thought it was just for the folks that lived in Tennessee. 
And maybe every now and then, somebody from Virginia might get saved, but of course to be saved, they'd have to move to Tennessee because the gospel come from Tennessee. And then all of a sudden, we hear somebody way over in the state of Washington got saved, and we'd say, they'll never last They'll never endure because they didn't choose to move to Happy Valley because our vision would have been so narrow and our understanding would have been so small. So God called a man with a global vision. I'm so glad. I I don't mind telling you, I'm glad that we've still got men today that have that type of vision because the last one to come in may not live down in Carter County. They may not live over in Blountville. They may live somewhere in the jungle, back in in the darkest places, and some little servant of God will go back there and lead them to the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and you'll be able to go home because that last one come in. But the Lord Jesus had a twofold purpose in mind in that every member that would be baptized into the body. Now remember when the church is first formulated that the revelation is very, it's very small. It's very primitive. They really don't have a global understanding. And Paul, by the grace of God, had received this from the Lord and it must have took some time for the brethren to be able to reach out. And we know that Peter didn't leave, uh, you know, Jerusalem until several, several years after his ministry. And then he took a few spots that he went into Babylon and a few places. But James pretty much stayed right there as a local brother. Some of the other brethren didn't go beyond what Judaism and what they knew. But God knew that it would take some time. He knew that it would cross the English Channel. He knew that it would cross the Atlantic. He knew that it would cross the Pacific. But can you imagine trying to expound the greatness of this revelation to the church in its primitive stage? It would have been overwhelming. They would have thought, how in the world can we be able to do this? If God would have showed them perhaps the internet and would have showed them or said something in a, in a very vague way that one day people sitting in a local assembly will be able to somehow project their services and at the same time, people in the Netherlands and in Norway and in Germany and you know wherever more around the world would be able to hear it at the same time after it leaves the pastor's mouth in a matter of seconds they'll be able to understand it. people say wow my what, what kind of world will that be to live in well we're living in that world right now and we thank God for it. But yet that does not do away with the local assembly that the Lord God wanted to achieve. Now, you know, it takes a great balance always. The scripture tells us a false balance is an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. But a just weight is his delight. So we love grace, do we not? But we also love works and we love predestination, and we want to have sanctification. We want to be balanced in all things that we do. So we could emphasize so much on the mystical, spiritual, invisible union that exists in the bride around the world, and we could overlook the local assemblies that are absolutely necessary to be able to sustain what God is doing. Or, on the other way around, on the flip side, we could so emphasize on the 
local assembly so much that we don't think about the work that goes beyond us. So the great balance that I desire to have and to achieve is that we have a vision globally, but our vision is not so broad and the spectrum is so broad that we overlook our own body and the needs among our own people right here. So we don't want to reach out here so far that we overlook hurting, lonely, needy people in our own assembly and we spend so much time, so much effort, so much money, so much of this and that and we're trying to pay for books and whatever more and we're doing that by the grace of God and we've done that for decades and we will continue to do so. But we also want to be a body that is so affected by the local members that the Spirit of God can be able to lay a brother or a sister on our heart and we're praying for them. And we feel a burden to be able to say a kind word to them. I mean, don't just think about reaching, you know, those in the and the foreign fields, but we also think about what about the hurting, lonely people in our own assembly. Now, it's one thing for us to be able to reach out, but I want you to notice that the Lord Jesus told the disciples, go ye into all the world. Now, they probably in their mind receiving the initial commission in Matthew 10 and then in Mark 16 whenever he sent them out. Many of them never went into all the world. Peter went just, you know, just as I said to Babylon. Some of the rest of the brethren never went 100 miles from where they were born. To make a trip overseas, there's no way. Many of those brothers never left Judea and Galilee. That's as far as they preached. So they did not actually fulfill that commission. So who's doing it? Well, men that live later did it, and men that are living today are doing the same thing. Now listen to me. Since transportation become global. Now it happened, of course, many, many years ago. You know, there was a time whenever those who sailed the oceans and they ventured out beyond their own harbor, and they were visionaries, of course, men that believed that there must be another part uh, to this great globe of the earth, and an Initially, many of them believed that the earth was flat. And they thought because of the way that the horizon went around the earth and they could see where the sky would come down and meet the water that they thought you would sail out there so far and you would actually fall off the earth. But there were missionaries, or visionaries, I should say, and they had this thing about them and something drew them, and they felt like that there had to be more than that. Now, initially, when they broke in to the understanding of the way the earth span around, and that it had what they call the trade winds. Well, they knew that the winds and the way that the earth moved, that it went from west to east because the direction, the way it spin. But they did not understand for many, many years that the set of winds that went one way from west to east, but there was also another set of winds which would bring them back because once they found out that the trade winds went from west to east and then they had this in their mind that once you got out, you could never get back. You understand what I'm saying? So if they left wherever they were from, it would push them farther and farther away from their homes, but there would be no way back. 
But some explorers found out that down in another sphere, a little bit lower than the, the winds they knew about, that there were some other winds that would actually bring them back home. Now, when they found that, it totally changed everything as far as global transportation. So then goods could be transported back and forth so they would have winds to go and they would have winds to return. Now, notice that God also paralleled the gospel with this understanding of man's ability to travel. Why? Because the commission of the word had not yet been totally fulfilled. Now think of it, it laid in the word of God for hundreds and hundreds of years, go ye into all the world. Well, that's God's word and it will come to pass. But yet it lay there for many, many years. Now Paul was able, of course, to go into Cappadocia and the different places around there because they did not necessarily need the trade winds so he could take a wind or take the winds that was local there in the Mediterranean, the Caspian Sea and all the different ones that they were aware of. But to be able to go around the world, God saved that for a certain time. I mean, know the gospel has always been synchronized with the understanding of science. As it was in the days of Luther. So they started out with a horse and buggy and then they come from that on up in the days of Wesley. Then it moved up into the days of Pentecost with airplanes and then it moved up into the final closing age or the bright age and it must not remain with an airplane but with an astronaut. And now we know that it has reached its final stage to where that it'll go no farther until we are traveling like a soul. Now man has broken into a lot of things but yet he's never yet been able to break in to the range of speed by which your thought can travel. I can pick up a phone, I can text friends of mine in South Africa, Germany, Norway, wherever it is around the world, in a matter of seconds they will respond back to me but if I want to go to say Johannesburg, South Africa and I'll fly from Tri-Cities to Atlanta and from Atlanta there I will go into Johannesburg, third longest flight in the world 19 hours depending upon the headwind and the tailwind and yet my thoughts can be to those brothers in a matter of seconds because God has reserved that life's increment of flight for the bride in the rapture. But yet God wanted the gospel to go around the world. I hope you understand that we, by the grace of God, had been able to carry out part of the great commission that Paul could not do. We are doing part of what Wesley could not do. And as far as numbers and globalization, we are doing some things in that way that Brother Branham was not able to do because Brother Branham was one man. So it was totally impossible for Brother Branham to travel around the world and go into every aspect of it himself. So what did God do? God used one messenger and he brings the message to that one man. Then he calls others out from under the administration of that man. They're anointed with the same pillar of fire, anointed not to get a new revelation, but to say what he already said. Is that right? Then they take that gospel that God has given and they spread it throughout the earth. Now, if it is only through the invisible union part, if it is only through internet, if it is only through that, then there's really no need of a local body. Then we'll all just be hooked up around the world and we'll follow this preacher and that preacher and another preacher and we really won't need to assemble ourselves together. But the Bible did not say forsake not the assembling of 
yourselves together as the manner of some is until the last day. But it says, and that much more as you see the day approaching. So do we still need the local assembly? You answer me. Do we still need to come to the house of God? Do we still need one another? Do we need brothers and sisters? And I'm not talking about now just internet pals and chat rooms and all that sort of thing. I'm not against those things as long as they're used for the right way. But you see what Satan wants to do? He wants to take technology because remember, everything that comes off of the tree of knowledge of good and evil has the capability of being both. Your smartphone has the ability to be able to access and save you a lot of time or it can become one of the greatest addictions that you'll ever have in your life. That you cannot handle a ding or a buzz or a this or that or the other without looking at it. If you look at the Lord Jesus the way you feel obligated to look at that crazy phone of yours, I think would be a lot closer to God. Well, amen, Brother Donnie. Your phone come from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This microphone could have been used in the Country Music Hall of Fame. This organ could have been used for all kinds of things. These drums, guitars, whatever more. Your automobile could become an instrument of death. Or it can be an instrument that brings you back and forth to work, back and forth to church. Why? Because it comes off the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Anything that comes off of that tree comes with some mixed potential to bring forth both. Well, how in the world are we going to know how to use them? It takes the master inside of our souls to help us. So if that phone goes to become an addiction to you, you know how to get rid of it if you need to. They still make the old-fashioned flip phone. So you know what? If you can't handle the internet on your phone because of pornography, I'd go back and get a 1950s version before I'd go to hell. Well, come on now. Say Amen. But you realize the Lord Jesus knew. Now, none of these things that we've advanced in science, none of it has taken him by surprise. And he knew and how much ever time that there will be left, how much ever farther that we will advance in science and civilization and so on. He knew that it would be that way. And it's amazing when you look at the printing press and the time frame, the way that God allowed the message of Luther under justification. Now, here was a reformation that must strike the world, but it must come at a more rapid pace than it had been for the hundreds of years by which what they had known as the gospel had traveled. So God wanted it to be in a flow that would pick up compared to what it was. So he allowed the message of justification to coincide perfectly with the invention of the printing press. Aren't you glad he did? Now, then the church had been without the Bible for years and years. And of course, the Catholic church didn't want them to have it. And they started smuggling the Bible in. And they've done all sorts of things to get it into the hands of the people. And we can see the advancement of science and how that God would actually tap into that. Now I realize we got folks that don't think we ought to have internet streaming and this and that and the other. But if you will look at the very first quote in the message. In 1947, the very first words, recorded words that we have of the message began with Brother Brennan saying that the brothers have 
some type of new type of gadgets and new type of recording. Now you look at Brother Branham in his day, he was one of the leaders or the pioneers that was using some of the wire recorders as it were. It was very, very primitive compared to what we have now, analog of course and not digital. And yet he broke into that spark of the technology. Why? To be able to get the word around in a way that other preachers wasn't even doing it. A man in Brother Branham's church was the one which worked for the telephone company and he was the one who come up with the idea of people being able to call into the tabernacle and have the telephone hookup. Well, like it or not, that was the first primitive form of streaming the services. So people, but they had to have all these telephone lines run into this hookup, and you know, it was, it was a great thing at that time. Then of course, Brother Perry Green come up with some different things, and yet Brother Branham did not hold and say, no, wait a minute, that's of the devil, I'll never have my services, hallelujah, I'll never do it. But yet when it become available, he actually broke into it. Why? Because the advancement of the gospel, we use what is there to our advantage. But does it replace the Spirit of God? No, no. Many, many people get so terrified. I remember myself when the message first become available to be able to type in and search it and part of, part of our church or help pay for that and help do for that as well as other churches in the United States and different parts of the world. But I remember myself when it became available that I looked at it and I really studied and I thought, God, will this alter me? Will this change me in any way? Will it take away from the leadership of the Spirit of God. And I waited for a bit, even though it came from part of the, it come from here and the work come from here and a great portion of the finance come from here. But yet I waited for quite some time because I didn't want it to be something that would replace a supernatural element. Does that make sense to you? I didn't want it to do away with the supernatural element, which I felt like I always needed and still feel that way today. But Brother Tim Pruitt and I was talking about it and I was still uh, searching the message by the concordances of Brother David Mamas. And Brother Tim said, Brother Donnie, you got this yet? I said, no, sir, no, I, I haven't. He said, well, why? You know, Brother Tim. Well, why? Well, tell me why. I said, well, you know, Brother Tim, I just don't want it to, I don't want it to affect me. He said, well, you still use the concordance? I said, yes, sir. He said, think of it as a faster concordance. I got it next week. Now, why? Because I realized it was going to make it that much better for me. Now, you can imagine sometimes now when I will do a word search, I might look at over a thousand quotes on one subject, say the word Zoe or whatever it is that I'm studying on. Well, then when I go to doing that, I'll break into another and I'll have another search and another window. It might be 500 quotes. And then I'll look at 385 scriptures and I've got all these windows. I keep three message windows open all the time, three Bible windows open all the time and four different word documents open all the time. And so I'm throwing quotes into all these in the same direction. Then you wonder why I sound crazy when I get up here, huh? <clears throat> but yet what was it by being able to break into that? But do I think I need the anointing less now since we've got the computer? No, I need it now more than I needed it beforehand because now I've got more quotes and I'm saying, Lord, which one should I use? Because I'm not called to be a reader, I'm called to be a preacher. 
But I do want to read to you things because the prophet had a way of saying things that just to be honest with you, nobody else couldn't quite say it like he did. But yet I'm called to be more than just a reader. So what do we break into? We break into that supernatural realm as it couples with the advancement that God gives us and we keep the balance of not replacing the spirit of God and the anointing of the Holy Ghost with the speedy things and all this around us. Do we thank God for it? Yes, I appreciate the ability that people can stream the service. I appreciate it that they're able. Many people that live in areas where there is no church at all, and if it was not for our church and many other churches that they stream, I don't know what they would do. I thank God for it. But does that mean that God no longer needs a local assembly? That some of you get up and your big toes hurting just a little bit, and your lumbago, you felt the pain kind of jar in your lower lumbar section, and you just decide you'll stay home and stream. And you get you a big bowl of white gravy and some biscuits and get you a little bit of strawberry jam and your favorite cup of coffee. And you're sitting there filling your gut while we're here pulling on the man of God. And you think that's going to replace going to church? God's going to make you answer for that. Well, come on now. Oh, I see some of you wish you was home with your gravy in your lap, huh? Look, friend, God never meant for streaming to replace people coming to the house of God. Now, you know, it, it will be more difficult for us, of course, because we have streaming to fall back on. And people around the world are, are have accessible to it, so many of them are doing the same way. And it will be a great balance for the Spirit of God to help us to keep in that spot. But remember, we must not emphasize so much on the spiritual, mystical part that we forsake the assembly of ourselves together. You can imagine when Paul wrote this in the book of Hebrews about the local assembly that people were being beheaded. People were being tied to a stake. They were being burnt. They risk, now some of you risk the traffic light and you risk being hit by some drunk or whatever more becoming to the house of God. But you never risk Romans standing out here with a sword in their hand and going to take your babies and cut your head off and this and that and the other. And yet Paul wrote to them on those dire circumstances and told them, look, I know you might tend to stay away from the house of God and you might tend to be afraid to go to church. Now I know we've come through COVID and we're still dealing with all that. But, but to be honest with you, COVID is nothing compared to what that early church went through. They went through so many things and yet they risked their life by going to church. I know a little bit about that feeling and some of the visits that I made to China. I know a little bit about that whenever they knock on your door and you're not sure if it's the police, if it's somebody coming to clean your room, you don't know exactly what it is. I never experienced that feeling before until I went there several years ago, especially after Brother Biscoe was arrested and I was in another city. And then I found out they were looking for me. And those of you, many of you know that Brother Biscoe had my itinerary in his briefcase. And whenever they come and they arrested them and, and detained them and questioned them and Brother Biscoe tore, took my itinerary and tore it up into little bitty pieces and swallowed it so they would not find me. And they kept looking for me and looking for me, but they was looking for Donnie Reagan as a Canadian citizen. Boy, am I glad I was an American then. Oh my. 
But yet, the Chinese people, now for me, I might be extradited, my passport stamped, where I can never go back into China, as Brother Biscoe was, but yet for those people who live there, they could be thrown in jail for years. They might never get out, and it was more of a risk to them than it was to me, but you know what? They were willing to face that risk, so I thought if they are, how much more should I do it? But I wonder, Happy Valley, I wonder, Word of Life Tabernacle, I wonder many of our churches in the States and in Canada, if we would face the risk of being arrested today and the local sheriff and the police would come from Johnson City or Elizabethan and they say, all right, everybody that's in there, you're gonna be arrested and go to jail. I wonder how many would have today in church. Or would it just be me and the musicians? Or would all them be here? And all of you all would choose to stream because it's safer. Well, I'm not sure why I'm going this way today because it's showing all my notes and my scriptures. You see, those who really love him, they love him through persecution. They love him through distress and trouble and heartache and difficulty. Is that right? Now, still to this day, it's still, you know, and I get different reports from China, and some of our brothers are still in jail to this very day. Some that have been arrested months and months ago are in jail. And I received a letter from one, and my, it was like reading a letter from an apostle in the early church age and how that the brother was encouraging the people from the jail cell there and telling them not to be discouraged and God would bring something marvelous out of this. And myself, I still have a special place in my heart for the Chinese people and I like to go back actually sometime if the Lord would let me. But as I read that, I thought, my, here we are and we can come. Why, if we want to have a revival that lasts six weeks, ain't no law can stop us. There ain't nobody can stand out there and say you can't do it. But you know what? Many of us are so spoiled. We're so spoiled, rotten. If the temperature's a little warmer than we like it or a little cooler than we like it, well, the music is a little bit louder. I, I don't know. I didn't get my favorite pew. You ain't a worshiper. If you have to sit on the floor this morning. If you was a worshiper, you'd be so glad to be in the house of God where the pattern is getting a little bit worn on my pew. Let me tell you something, friend. If we love God, if we had to sit on the concrete floor, if we had to lean against one another, we'd be so happy and so privileged to be in the house of God unless Satan has struck our vision about the purpose and the meaning and the necessity necessity of a local assembly and convince us somehow that we no longer need it. Oh yes, we need it now more than ever before. I realize that COVID has affected us. It has affected the churches around the world and I hear about it from Africa to India to Europe to all over the world to Asia to the Philippines and so on that many people have fallen away during this time frame which is so sad but yet the real saints of God 
God are going to be hanging on. And when COVID bypasses us and is gone, and it will be, we'll get a reprieve from it. Oh, yes, the real saints of God will still be standing there fighting. When the dust is all settled and the smoke is all gone, the real children of God will be there. But there will be some weak ones who fell by the way. There will be some that have got out of the way. But what are we going to do as a body? Are we going to forget about them? Well, it proves they wouldn't seed. You don't know they're not seed a bit more than I do. They might be seed, but they ain't just ain't got the Holy Ghost yet. But as a local assembly, we need to realize the circulatory system of the body of the Lord Jesus is the love of God. It is a love that is so powerful, it persuaded the Almighty to condescend and come down in human form in order to bring us back to reconciliation. And it must come through the avenue of kenosis that he would empty himself out and become such a mortal, so afflicted with humanity that he allowed his body to age. He allowed his body to get sick and groan with the headache setting outside the city of Nain. He allowed himself to be beaten and be whipped and the strips of meat tore from his back. Why? So he could become a high priest that could feel, oh my, the needs. I wish somebody would preach with me this morning. The needs of his people. May almighty God help us as a church that we will never get away from the circulatory system of divine love. It makes no difference how many mysteries we understand, how much we can quote the prophet or quote the Bible. If we ever lose the great mystery of the love of God, we have missed the great foundation of the gospel. We have missed the very avenue by which the Lord God delivered even the message of the hour. Oh, hallelujah. You see, an isolated Christian can neither minister to the body or be ministered to from the body. An isolated Christian, now I'm not talking about so much isolated in distance because there's many people I hear from them all the time from around the world, oh, what we would give to set in your church or what they'd give to set in Brother Tim Pruitt's church or Brother On or wherever more, and yet they just can't do it. They just can't do it because of citizenship or they cannot do it because of money or means or vehicle or family or whatever it is. But I'm talking about people who get into the attitude that they just don't need church. I don't need to go to church. I don't need anybody. I don't need to shake hands. I don't need to have friends in the church. I do good by having worldly friends. I don't see how in the world you figure that. Whenever they want to drink and smoke and run around and you do fine with them type of people and you ain't got one Christian friend, there's something wrong with you. Well, come on now. You see, it's impossible for the gifts of the Spirit to be administered to an isolated person. It is impossible for an isolated person who pulls himself away from the body to feel the unison and the unity by which God derives this great mystical thing. And it comes from a dynamo inside of each one that's born again. But there's something about that dynamo as it was in him alone in the beginning and it pulsated from his great being. There was something about that dynamo that he wanted more of his own kind. 
Now, if being alone is the ideal epitome of Christianity, then God should have never made one man in the beginning. God should have been perfectly happy and satisfied living by himself. If an isolated Christian is the epitome of the image of God, then why in the world did God ever want to make a man? Look at all the trouble man's causing. Look at all the trouble, the problems that man has brought to God. But God knew it was worth it. Well, I'll tell you one thing. The more friends you get in church and you get talked about and you get this, that, and the other. Well, when you get all your complaining done, you sit down and let God tell you about all the billions of people that he's dealt with down through time. And you'll hear him say when it's all said and done, but it's been worse every bit of it. Because when it's all said and done, I'm going to have not only my throne and my angels, but I'm going to have my children gathered around me and we're going to live together for eternity. And the way God looks at it, I have been worse the trouble. <laughs> you have been worse the trouble, brother. Sister, you say, well, I've caused him so much trouble. I agree, and I have too. But the way he looks at it, well, my goodness, if you live to be a thousand years old, that's only one day in God's time. So if you was a thousand years old and God dealt with you with all your ups and your downs and your ins and your outs, and yet at the end of that, he got to live with you for eternity, brother John, God would say, what's one day compared to eternity? You see, it's totally impossible for a person who is isolated in spirit, not just in body, but isolated in spirit. I don't need anyone. I don't need the church. I don't need to sing. I don't need to clap hands. Notice what they're focusing on. I, I, I. So it's all about them. As if though, they were leaving out these other portions of scripture that they are supposed to be a part of a body. Can you imagine now if one of your fingers got that idea? What about if one of your toes got that idea? Or one of your eyes? Or one of your ears? Or what about one side of your nose, one nostril? And it got the idea, I'm tired of hanging around with that other nostril. I get so sick of that other nostril, I can't stand that thing. Well, you're going to be funny looking to church. Please continue to wear your mask. <laughs> One of your ears decides, I'm getting tired of being stuck on the side of Jackie Ons' head. I'm leaving. I'm absolutely, I'm pulling away. Well, praise the Lord. Any of y'all want your ears to do that? I know mine's ugly, but they're mine, so I'm glad I got both of them. I know I ain't got a nice nose. I got it broke whenever I was a kid. And it's, it's crooked. I understand all that. Jumping on a trampoline and my teacher made me do it. I told him, I said, I can't do that. He said, you get up or I'll fail you. Well, I got up there and broke my nose. Went home, my daddy nearly broke his neck. My daddy went to school and went to talk to him. Well, I'm stuck with it now the rest of my life. But you know what? I'd rather have it than have nothing. Well, Brother Donnie, but we got people here that's got problems. I agree, we do. And this is like a hospital. This is what we come to get took care of. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. If you're well, I'd advise you to stay away from the med center with all the sickness that's going on. So all of those of you that think you're so spiritually well, well, maybe you can find a well church somewhere where you can go to where there ain't no sick. But this one is an ER. This one right here is opened up to the lame, the blind, the halt, the lost.
cross, the backslid. Uh, you know what? It's open to those who smoke cigarettes. It's open to those who are hooked on marijuana because we have a deliverance area right here for those who can get delivered from alcohol and from marijuana and from cigarettes. Now don't sit there and look at me and, well, I don't want nobody here like that. Why? At one time you was that way and we reached out our hand to you. We want to continue to do the same thing today. I don't know what your vision is for the future, friend. I don't know how much longer we've got. I've said it to you before. It'll be perfectly fine with me if we never get to have one service in our new facility. So what? I don't even care. I don't figure there's anything that we've done in this life will even compare to where we're going. So if we don't get to have one service, have at it. Praise God. I'll shout down streets of gold. But if we do get to move there in time, this is what I'm expecting. I'm expecting our Lord Jesus to meet with us absolutely every time we gather there. Why wouldn't he? He said if there's any two or three that are gathered in my name, that will I be with him in the midst. I'm still expecting him to save the lost. I'm expecting him to reach out to those that are bound. I'm expecting him to fill with the Holy Ghost. And I'm expecting to have some big old meetings that we ain't got to have in years and years. And get some of our brothers and sisters together. You know why? I like fellowshipping with other flocks. I like fellowshipping, not just one-sided me going there, but I like bringing them over to fellowship with us because we are all going to live in one city. We're going to one place to be married to one great king. You see, truth unites the hearts of the elected, but lies divide. Contention separates. And I guarantee you, as the people of God, it takes divine virtues to help us. If we were just a social church, and we all gathered over there on Sunday morning, we had the coffee bars and you could get gelatos and whatever them other words are. I don't drink coffee, so I don't really know what they all are. And you can get all these pumpkin spice flavored this and that and the other. And you bring your coffees in and you sit down with your cinnamon rolls. Everybody just, you know, has a nice brunch. As we're fellowshipping, uh, you're at the wrong place. We want you to eat all right on the unfailing body word of the Son of Man. Oh, Brother Donnie, we're gonna have a coffee bar at the new place? Uh, no. <laughs> well, what about cereal? No, 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 no Cheerios, uh, no, no Lucky Charms, none of that. We coming to feed on the Word. Oh, is there a place for that? Yes, but it's not in the house of God. So we've not just come for social fellowship, but we've come under the revealing of the word. So social churches will not have the same spiritual battles that the mystical bride of Christ will. If there will be, there could be 100,000 churches in one city. And if there's one true church there, the church of the living God, that will be the church that all hell will be against and all hell will back the rest of them because they're preaching damnable doctrines, they're preaching ideologies of man that convinces people that they're all all right, when many of them ain't even born again, well, hallelujah. 
and Satan will set his sights and everybody in that church, including the preacher, will have a target on his back, but that's all right. I'd rather have a target on my back of hell than a badge on me from hell saying cooperating membership. I don't want no ID from down in hell saying, hey, devil's hang tight. Donnie Reagan's one of us. Oh, no. Hell, he's told a lot of lies on me, but I don't sure want that ever said about me. Do you? Do you want hell saying, oh, we love Rob. He's right on our side. We love Jack. He's on our side. No, I want whenever my name is mentioned down in hell and the and Satan says it's time for a guard change. I'm going to send another demon up Donnie Reagan's way. We sent COVID. He kept right on going. We sent this and he kept on going. All right, I need another demon. Who will volunteer to Donnie Reagan? <laughs> exactly. You see, that's what I want him to do. The same thing you did. Nothing. Nothing. Could you imagine some of you when Satan wants to change shifts? Gossip, lying, pornography, this, that, the other. Oh, the demons, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it. I love dealing with him, I love it. What a shame. So because we have these type of people that are coming to church, really, this is kind of a scrap heap. Now, we got brothers here in our church that deal with recycling metals and this and that. <clears throat> I don't understand too much about it, but I've been to some of their places. It's sort of like a junkyard, you know, sort of. And they got metal over here, aluminum over here, and whatever over here, and radiators and starters and generators. And, you know, they look at that, and if they're up on the market, they can tell exactly what that generator costs, how much it's worth. They can look, look at an 18-inch aluminum wheel and know exactly what it's worth. To us, we walked in and think, but they see money. New cars, bigger houses, yachts, boats, trips. You see junk. Praise the Lord. You're riding down the road and there's a piece of something laying in the road and you're swirling over a crazy thing. A converter guy stops and picks that up. That's $250. <laughs> but to me and you, we're more concerned about a scratch in our little car or something. You know, that's the way the world looks at a true church and they say, don't so-and-so go up there? Uh, so-and-so. Oh, they have got problems. Well, let me just tell you from a pastor's perspective, I don't know anybody that comes here that don't. including the man in the pulpit. Every preacher that preaches here has got problems. You know what his problem is? His humanity. But this is one of the best places I know in the Tri-Cities for God to be able to take a bunch of junk and take a good bolt of Malachi 4 and drill a good hole inside of that and bolt that thing together and take a preacher that knows how to use a wrench and tighten that thing up, mine, take that thing and boil it all out and do whatever more. And whenever he gets done with that, think, wow, where did that beautiful piece of machinery come from? The junkyard. The junkyard. Where did the Lord God find most of us? In the scrap heap of humanity. 
whatever the world throwed us here and throwed us there. And the Lord said, oh, oh, that's gold. Really? Oh, that's silver. Oh, my goodness. Really? You know what they say. One man's junk is another man's treasure. I ain't never been too good at going to yard sales myself. But I know some people here. There's a brother I'm saying you're looking at today, Brother Calvin. And Brother Calvin is a yard sale connoisseur. <laughs> brother Calvin, go there and find a diamond or find a nine. I can tell you the type of brother that he is, that he's went to places before and buy something for a certain, certain price and sell it for way, way more than what it was worth and go back to them people he bought her from and give them more money. Now he knew by looking at it. I'd look at it and think, that piece of junk come from big lots. I'd buy that trash. But some of us got the eye. God's got his eye on you. Others look at that fellow. Look at him. Why he come from a family that's got the office temper ever was? Why look at that family? Every one of them's eat up as sex sins. They're eat up with this habit and that habit. But you're only looking at the outside. God is able to look down inside the soul and see something there of great quality. Why? He put it there. It is not that there's anything good in us by our own nature, by our own makeup. The only good thing in any of us is a deposit of Almighty God Himself. Oh. But you see, it's easier to be streamers. We just click on the website. Service will begin in five minutes. And we go over and Brother Louie, whoever steps up here, we just sit at home and clap. I'm not, I'm not running those people down now. But if all of those people come here and start to become a part of this body, then they'd understand why I have to preach things I do sometimes. They'd probably say, why is he saying that? Because they're not in the scrap heap. I'm dealing with the junk. Sometimes I feel like I work in the sewer department of heaven. Well, somebody's got to do it because you folks keep, keep getting clogged up. So somebody's got to be there willing to help get you straightened out. Well, come on now. Oh, you think a preacher just works in the jewelry shop. You think a pastor just works in there and, and set these fine diamonds. No, he's the sewer guy. He works in the sewer because the bathroom sink gets stopped up and the kitchen sink gets stopped up and this gets stopped up and that gets stopped up. But somebody's got to have the plunger. My, you think I come out of there with diamond polishers and gold on this and that and the other? No, I'm the guy with Drano on this hip, the plunger on this hip, a wire cable over here if I have to, I'll take the thing out and replace it, whatever we gotta do. But we gotta have the water flowing because the water coming from the Spirit of God is our lifeline. And the devil will do everything he can to stop up our lives from the presence of God. But I wanna serve him notice today, we have got some certified, God-ordained technicians that are called preachers that are ordained to help get the supply lines open to our life so the Holy Ghost can flow freely through us. Yeah. 
Did you need this today? I don't know why in the world I'm going this way for I ain't even got to my stuff. Are you guilty? Notice this in 2 Peter chapter 1. Well, praise God. Now we're back on the notes. It's these old sorry people that stream. Second Peter chapter one, verse five. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness. Now we know on the stage of the prophet's ministry, 60, 61, 62, great things are happening. But there's also rejection that is starting to build from many of the churches and the denominations. He's catching a lot of flack from the things that he's preaching. But it's also a transitionary period for the prophet himself when something is fixing to happen to his ministry. And remember, he always felt the pull to go out west. But the time wasn't quite right. Remember in 1961 that he started feeling that very strong again. And he mentioned to his wife about moving out west. And she said, Bill, what about my mother? He said, what about mine? So he went to God and said, God, help me. You see, she didn't want to leave her mother. God knew this would happen, of course. But God was determined a mother-in-law, nor a mother, is going to hinder his prophet this time. Because that's what happened the first time. Now don't get quiet on me now. So what happened? His mother-in-law and his mother both pass away in this time frame, 61, 62. The burden does not leave him. Then God starts pulling and pulling and pulling. And you remember as a boy sitting in the schoolroom and he had to borrow a piece of paper and a pencil and he wrote about killing that lion. And he said, years and years later, there I was sitting there looking at that line. And there was something in him that pulled him, but there must be a synchronization of time that'll line it up prophetically, just like it was with Paul. And Brother Branham started dealing with things that was a different phase of his ministry. And this, of course, is the scriptures that he read in the statue of a perfect man. Also, blasphemous names, 1962. Why well, I'm against organized religion. Many of those great sermons. And you can tell that something is changing, if you've not listened to them in sequence that way. But something is changing more more away from evangelism and more into the prophetic part. Not just the prophetic gift, but the prophetic word. And then it leads up to the end of the year of is this a sign of the end time, sir? And then something by then had already made arrangements, rented a house out there, and he told the church he was leaving and he was going to Arizona. Even then, he did not know exactly what it was. By the vision that he saw when he first tells it, he said it looked like there was five angels. He said no less than five, not more than seven. The cluster, the way they were put together, it was hard for him to identify how many there were. He thinks by the vision that he's going to be killed. And he actually calls Billy and his wife together. He tells Billy, Billy, he said, uh, my man can't live through this explosion because he heard a great explosion and he saw the mountain shaking. And he said, you know, take, take care of your mother. And he said, the church won't let her go hungry. So he, he's telling them what to do because he actually thought 
he was going to die. When he goes up there and the Lord reveals to him the sword in the hand of Sabino Canyon, and many of you have stood there, and when the Lord makes known to him that it's not his death, but the furtherance of his ministry. So he was there with his hands up and a sword hit his hand. And I said, you can imagine how I feel. And he said, I look up at that sword and he said, hey, I've always been afraid of a knife anyway. And it was a very short sword. It was not a real long one, but a very short one. And a voice said, this is the sword of the king. He said, now, where did that come from? That was in them rocks there. Where did it come from? And he said, it had pot metal around the sheath. And he said, it fit my hand just perfectly. You see, friend, God only drops that sword into the hands of a God called prophet. Now, if I tried to take that sword, it would not fit in my hand. Some of the men who were with Brother Branham thought they could get that sword too, but it just didn't fit right. That sword is made for one hand in one age. And that word has already been fulfilled. Is that right, Happy Valley? And then the prophet is leading up to this and God gives him this great paramount sermon uh, whenever he preaches on this of the stature of a perfect man. Now the negative side of course of having a message like this of being supernatural that you're gonna draw all kinds of fanaticism. And you're gonna draw men that wanna ride off of the coattail of the messenger himself and they will want to be an offshoot and they will try to use his message as a platform to build something for themselves. That's right, it's always been that way. So whenever the, after the prophet leaves, then the doctrine of the seven thunder camp comes around and they try to take these seven virtues and as the prophet drew the pyramid there, and many of us have seen it, and they want to take and place the seven thunders in there in a way that the prophet never placed them. But it does not take away from the truth that lays in that great pyramid message. Is that right? Now there's seven virtues that Peter referred to and there's also seven church ages and there's seven church age messengers. Now it just so happens that the seventh virtue that's right up on the top of this pyramid is what? Brotherly kindness. Now I wonder why brotherly kindness would be the very last one right under the capstone which is the love of God. Each one of these are delegated by the administration of the spirit of God before the throne and John saw the colors same as Ezekiel did and each of those colors of the rainbow signified a characteristic or a trait of God as he was administering down to the people. We also see before the throne of God were beasts which represented powers. Each one of them are being represented down through the church ages and God knew the one we need in this age was not an ox but a flying eagle prophetic age of the end time. But we also need these virtues added into us. And Peter goes on to say, if you read the rest of this when you get home, that if a person has these things in them, that they will never fall. So then we're dealing with a ceiling, a ceiling, an identification of a finished product before the presence of God that will lock your soul into the divine pyramid of God. Now remember it was Enoch that built the pyramid and the great equations that Enoch was given by God are still being understood to this day. And Manoah used the circumference of the earth and many of the things that Enoch got directly from the presence of the Lord. So in the pyramid is many great wonderful symbols. But yet here what we see is that the one we want to focus on, of course we need love and faith and temperance and patience and all of that. But why was brotherly kindness so needed in the last days? God knows exactly what he's doing. 
Notice this, and he says in verse eight, and if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be fruitful, fruitful or barren nor unfruitful rather in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So why is it that we need brotherly kindness would be the emphasis of our day? Oh, no doubt, God knew that humanity would become so polluted and the human stream would become so contaminated. Even among his children, our humanity would sometimes be so adverse to each other. Now don't sit there and look at me like a bunch of angels sitting there. But you know as well as I know, there's some people that just get your number. There's some people that just get you. Oh. Well, I'm sorry, I, I guess I should preach this to the camera because apparently, you sorry bunch of internet people. Why in the world do you need this and make me have to preach to these poor little innocent children? Shame on you. Now, whoever believes that can buy me dinner for the next six weeks. I'll be starving to death, won't I? Why do we need it? Because of ourselves. Well, I'm just now getting started and here it is, time to close. Let me just share one thing with you and then we'll pick it up again. Look at this now in the statue of a perfect man. All right, adding brotherly kindness. All right, when we get to that brotherly kindness, this is what brotherly kindness is. Putting yourself in his place on the matter. Now you say, my brother sinned against me. Peter, shall I forgive him? He said seven times a day, and he said 70 times seven. Now no doubt Peter thought he was stretching plumb into eternity, into the boundaries of grace, into a realm that not a mortal man had ever trod. I'm gonna forgive my brother seven times in one day. Am I like God or what? Jesus blew him out of the water. My, my. Jesus told him 490 times, and of course you know how that goes. If you reach 490 and he does it again, you'll have enough grace to forgive him the last time. You see, if a brother is all out of tune, ah, out of tune, okay, out of tune. Now you see, it's things that have strings that get out of tune, such as this piano, this guitar. Ah, this day this scripture's fulfilled because it is out of tune. <laughs> now y'all want me to tune it? You want me to tune it? Now, how did I know where that went? Some of you knew where it went, but most of you didn't. That's the way we get as a people.
Some of you come to church. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. So a brother gets all out of tune. What do we want to do many times? Replace them. Get rid of them. Now wouldn't that be an absolute waste to take a nice guitar like that guitar right there? Or this one over here? And just because it's out of tune, I ain't playing that stinking thing. What do y'all think I am anyway? You expect me to play that and it out of tune? No, sir. We expect you to tune it. Well, you see, that's the way God wants us to do with our brothers and sisters. And sometimes we get around sometimes and they're really flat. Now, for those of you that don't understand music, you know that whenever the string is a little bit low than pitch, it's flat. If it's too high, it's sharp. Many of us have a hard time between the flats and the sharps. We can get really sharp with one another. So what do we need? So God puts you in the hands of a preacher. Now you see, it's not like a grocery store where you say, you know what? I really like Kroger. Somebody else said, I wouldn't go to Kroger for nothing. Why, they're so high. Well, you ought to go to Food City. Somebody else said, Food City? Why, they're so high. And somebody else said, well, you need to go over there to that new Publix. Church ain't that way. And really, it's not for you and I to choose which church we want to go to. Because most of the time, the truth of it is, the church we need (laughs) is not the one we'd pick. (laughs) Most of us would pick a church where we'd be praised and adored and loved and made over and all. Everybody acknowledges us. And God more than likely will send you to a church where that pastor will walk up one side of you come on top of your head, spin his toes, walk down on the other side. And when he gets done, he'll walk up the other side and the other side. And you're just sitting there. <sighs> you go through the drive through Where you been, church? <sighs> but it's what you need. Amen. It's what I need. Let's stand. Let me give you this quote now so you can remember the rest of it till we pick it up next tune-in day. Now you see, if a brother's all out of tune, don't be impatient with him, see, no. Be kind to him. Go anyhow. Somebody said not long ago, said, how can you believe these things that you do and still go to the assemblies of God and the oneness and all the rest of them? Well, see, brotherly kindness. Hoping someday, see, patience with him, temperance, enduring with him, knowledge to understand what he believes. And remember, it's in his heart, and that's what it is, virtue in yourself to let it go out with kindness, meekness to him, having faith that someday God will bring him in. See, brotherly kindness, the seventh thing. 
the seventh ad, the prophet called it. I don't know about you sometimes, friends, but I need more added to my life. Anybody else here? More added to our lives. Now, it'd be much easier, see, if we was all just mystical, if we was all streamers. We wouldn't be around one another. We'd never have any clashes. We'd never have, you know, unless she's in a chat room, and even in that, nobody gets a black eye. It's just black words, you know, just bam, bam, bam. Nobody really gets hurt, just just your feelings. But when you go to church with people, and you see them, and you know them, don't you understand why this is a greater accomplishment than a streaming body? God never ordained streaming to replace this. Which do you figure would be easier on me to pastor an invisible church? <laughs> wow. All Maytag Christians. Now remember, I was raised with the television in our home, and I can still remember them Maytag. Y'all remember any of you? Go ahead and be honest with the rest. Oh, God bless your little lost hearts, my. <laughs> and you remember that Maytag repairman, don't you? He just sat around waiting for somebody to call. Oh, streamers. God love them. Wow. I wouldn't replace a million streamers for a local assembly. I wouldn't replace the largest following in the message on YouTube. For a handful of people that was in that local body. Why? God never meant for one to replace the other. Which I'm not necessary. If God puts you here, you are necessary. Brother Donnie, when you lift an offering, I can't give but $5. I can't give nothing like the big people. Did Jesus ever acknowledge any of the big people giving in the offerings? Thank God for them. I know people fight and fight people that's got money. I thank God because a lot of the people that's got the money has been the ones that's been able to do a lot of things around the world. But it was that little bitty woman with them two mites. And the Lord Jesus acknowledged her. You say, I can't give nothing. I can't do nothing. Yes, you can. Give your part. And if your part is $5, God will bless you as much as the man who gives 5000 he said, I can't do nothing. All I do is, is clap my hands and, and the Lord, the Lord wakes me up at three o'clock in the morning to pray for you. And you think that ain't nothing. Can you imagine what I've been going through, friends, in the last months, the last year or so? And you think God putting it on your heart to pray for me is nothing? Do you think I've kept going by my own strength? I've kept going because you and people around, like you around the world have called my name before the Lord Jesus. Don't look at me as some superman. I'm not some mighty great person. I'm a weak, feeble human being that needs your prayers and needs you standing with me. Praise God. God bless you. We'll be having another tuning service here Wednesday night if you'd like to come. Amen. 
I've always found it so amazing that some great, great singers and even songwriters, especially if they play a guitar or, or a stringed instrument, and they'll strum it, and you think, oh my goodness, that G string, you've heard it, I mean, you musicians have heard it, you think, how in the world could they record that? You've heard it, Brother Larry. How could they record that and not hear that? That thing is nearly a half a step off. How, how did that pass the engineer? Because it didn't have an ear to hear. Let us not walk out of here today and say, well, Brother Donnie was really weird today, wasn't he? Man, he was just here and there. He was shooting shotgun. He was just splattering it everywhere. I hope somebody here has an ear to hear. I say, Lord God, just directing that right toward me, right toward our assembly. And any of you that are streaming that has an assembly to go to and you're just too stinking lazy to go, you better check your inventory. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, I must say I am so baffled by this direction that you chose for this service today. Here I've studied and studied and my, but I always want to be where you can direct me in your way. Father God, I pray that you'd deal with every heart. Help us, Lord Jesus, when we get around one another. Lord, and we're under such tension and pressure. Lord, we can see it in the world out here. People's under such stress. Road rage. Little babies being shot. People being killed. Maybe they pulled over in front of somebody and they had a gun in their vehicle and just drug it out and killed them right there. Or run them off the road. People are living right on the edge. And God, we as your children, we feel the stress, the pressure. It's mounting. Lord, you know what we've been through as a church. The saints that's been, as we'd say, taken from us. Lord, this COVID thing that's affected so many of our people. and Not only our people in our local assembly, but brothers and sisters around the world. Dear God, we pray that you would help us. And Lord, we just have to be honest and say sometimes we've been out of tune. But if we don't have a real keen ear to listen to that, we may think we're the only one in tune and everybody else is out. I've always found it so amazing that a person that cannot sing on pitch, that they will sing off pitch a whole song. There may be 700 people right on pitch, but it never changes them. They start off pitch, the turnaround's off pitch, last verse is off pitch, last chorus is off pitch. They stayed off pitch the whole song because they just didn't have the ear to hear it. Grant us ears today, Lord God. Would you take me into your hands, Lord God, I know it's a simple comparison, but may you take me, Father, as I took that guitar a few moments ago. Take me in your hands and start at the bottom or the top or the middle, wherever you choose to.
When I learned to play the guitar years ago, I started tuning from the bottom up. Maybe other people can start from the beginning, from the middle rather, and go to the bottom and then come up. But that's the way I learned to do it. But Lord, I'm not going to tell you how to tune me. I'm just asking you to do it, Lord. If my attitude has got out of tune or fear is overwhelming to some of us, anxiety, stress, and it's got us really sharp, and our attitudes have got really sharp, maybe we're real flat on our prayer life. We're real flat on fellowship. We're real flat on self-centeredness and selfishness. Put your hand on my fretboard, Lord God. Lay your arm of grace through, through your right arm that salvation comes. So drape your right arm on the body of my soul, as it were. Strum me with your pick of election. Go from the bottom string and start going up, Lord God. Hallelujah. Till you find that one. And Lord, not a great musician, but one to be able to hear it a little bit. Sometimes it's more difficult the closest is that it is to being on pitch. Sometimes if it's an octave or so below, almost anybody can hear that. But it's finding that right spot, that sweet spot where it's just right. Lord, I don't want to be the kind of guitar that I'm in tune on D and I sound awful in C. Because cheap ones are that way. Oh, you can tune it for D and D and maybe G and A and it sounds really good. But when you hit E, it tells on it. So Lord, when I'm going through the high places in my life, I want to be in tune. But when I change keys and you hit me in A or F, May I be in just as much tune then, Lord God, as I am in high C. That takes you to help us, Lord Jesus. How many would like to be remembered today? Would you just be honest before the Lord and say, Lord, search me today, would you? Take my life into your hands and strum me as it were, Lord. Tune me up, Lord Jesus. Love, patience, kindness. Tenderness, Lord, gentleness, faith, godliness. Lord, help me if I've not been displaying the right kind of brotherly kindness to my brothers and sisters. And Lord, when you run your pick of divine love and mercy across the strings of my life, it produces a sound that is so mixed because actually I'm showing favoritism. I have such grace and such mercy for those that I love dearly, but I have very little for those who cross me. Lord, help us to realize that's not the way grace works. We know, Father, many, many times people need grace the most when they deserve it the least. But that's when you give it to us, when you saved us. We deserved it the least, but we needed it the most. Oh, Jesus, we worship you today, Father. Can we just raise our hands now in the presence of the King? Whatever your need is today, friend, I wonder what the Lord has in His mind for us, for our future, as an assembly, as a 
a church. Or you say, well, one day we'll not be able to meet. Well, we'll face that day, and if it is, then we'll, we'll do whatever we have to do. But right now, we can meet, and we're going to. So whatever the Lord has in his mind for us, don't you want to be a part of it, friends? Not just the streaming aspect. And, and don't you streamers think now that I'm, I'm, I'm somehow embarrassing you or humiliating you. Many of you, I get emails and texts and things from you. You'd love to sit here, but you can't. That's all you're doing. You do it with all your heart. And I hear it from them around the world. Whenever service starts, they don't get up and run to the kitchen. They don't run get a drink of water. They don't run here and there. They pray with us. They know many of you be your name and where you sit. Whenever we pray, they pray. When we sing, they sing. They're having church right there. Oh, my. How many like to be remembered before the Lord? Lord, just help me today. Would you just raise your hand to God as a sign to the Lord Jesus? I'm in the need, Lord. It's not the deacon today, Father. It's not the pastor. It's not Brother Louie. But it's me, Lord. I need your help. I didn't realize I was so far out of tune, Lord. I guess I've been out of tune for a while and so long. I've just started singing out of tune and living out of tune. and I kind of thought I was the only one right. But I realized it wasn't everybody else out of step. It was me. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord God. Thank you, Father God. Strum your mercy across my life today, Father God. Tune me, Lord, to the hour. Tune me to the time, Father. Every musician has a favorite key, most of the time more than one, that they enjoy playing in. And they also have keys that they don't like playing in. Sometimes maybe these musicians have looked at me, Brother Harry or Brother Larry one, and they'll tell me a certain key and They'll kind of frown with that key because it's not their favorite nor mine. But Lord, what I've seen in them studios of them professional musicians playing guitars, they've got certain keys that they can do certain things on the strings. And if need be, they'll raise that guitar. They'll retune it to bring it up or bring it down in order to play it in their favorite key. I was so out of tune I was running and jumping and screaming in Pentecost, but you had to raise me up to the seventh church age. Praise God. You raised me up a pitch. Praise God, where you could get out of me what you wanted me to sound like. Lord, since I've been raised into that new key, I've still got out of tune every now and then, but I'm still playing in the right pitch. Praise be to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Tune us, would you, Lord? Lord, Satan's tried to come among us. Lord, our church services have been affected and our attendance has been affected. Lord God, I pray you would help us. Help us, Lord Jesus. And we'll never be able to do it ourselves. It'll take you to take each one of our lives and retune us to the right pitch. We can't do it ourselves. And if we got together, well, I'll tell you what, as a church, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. No, we'll always have different opinions. Somebody will be in F, somebody will be in F sharp, somebody will be in D, somebody else will be in G. But Lord God, if you'll get us together 
and you'll tune our lives. Hallelujah. We'll all be in the key of R, which is rapture. Praise God. Sing something for us, Harry. Don't you love him, children? How many wants Jesus just to take your life? Maybe the devil is trying to come between some of you and your families, your homes, your husbands and wives. One of you or both of you is a little out of tune. A child is out of tune. A family member. And in your family band, as we would say, oh my, so much stuff going on. Why don't you let the Lord take you in his arms today and go to striking that pick of his love across your heart and retune you. Maybe you need to be brought up on certain strings and brought down on others. But whenever he tunes you, you remember the story of the violin. What am I bid? 50 cents, a dollar, two dollars. But then the master was in the audience. And he took that violin and he rolls on the bow and he took and tuned those four strings. It's amazing to me how four strings on a violin can make such beautiful music. And they're just little bitty old short strings. Not in my hands. You ought to hear me play one. But you let a master get those short strings. You say, oh, I'm not nothing, I'm not nothing. Oh, but a master can take an instrument with short, four short strings and transform it into such beautiful music. Let him take your short strings of your life. Rawls in that bow with the anointing of the Holy Ghost and strike it across your heart. Praise God. And say, child, I called you before the foundation of the world. I wrote your name on my book. Let me tune your life today for what I want you to be. Let's just worship a little together before we go. Can we? Can we have a few more minutes just before we go? Sing what's on your heart for us here. Empty and broken. Thank you, Jesus. I came back to you. Thank you, Jesus. My soul unworthy. Hallelujah. So scarred by sin. But he did not despair.
image is how he wants me to stay. When I stumble and I fall and my vessel breaks, he just picks up all my broken pieces. He doesn't so glad you went the way you went brother Donnie we needed this this morning didn't we praise the Lord praise the Lord brother Harry sing a little bit of that song this morning he knows my name he knows what we had need of today in this service do you believe that do you appreciate a man of God that will be obedient to the word of the Lord 
Amen. Amen. Sing a little bit, Brother Harry, if you will. Counts the stars, one and all. Knows how much sand is on the shore. He sees every sparrow that falls. May the mountains and the seas He's in control of everything Of all creatures great and small Praise the Lord He knows my name Every step that I take
Just fine Cause he knows my name 